This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 47 of Horsemanship Radio, brought to you by Index Fund Advisors, IFA.com. Horsemanship Radio is a part of the family of the Horse Radio Network. And today we have two fun trips um, interviewed and in the can now, where I went to the Appaloosa Horse Club, and then uh, I met Melody Fleckenstein, and she is an MFH. Stay tuned to hear what that's all about. And both were up in Washington State. This is Debbie Laux, and you're listening to the Horsemanship Radio. Thank you for joining us. Horsemanship Radio airs on the 15th and the 30th of the month, and I have my producer, Glenn, with me today. Hi, Glenn. Hi, Debbie. Good to talk to you again. Good to talk to you. I'm so proud of you, by the way. Why is that? <laughs> because you just got back from a, some amazing conference, and maybe not everybody's heard about it yet, but I want to brag on you that the Horse Radio Network is in the top five of all podcasts. No, not just horse podcasts. Top five of all ho- podcasts in the world, according to the conference that is the biggest conference for podcasts in the world. Am I right on that? Yeah, we kind of figured that out when we were there because we've there were very few networks uh, in podcasting. One, we started eight years ago. Podcasting started 10 years ago, so we were early on. Mm-hmm. And there are very few networks that have produced over, we're almost 4,300 episodes now. Cheapers. Uh, we've interviewed, thanks to you too. I mean, you have some credit in this. Um, Just getting we also, started. <laughs> we also have uh, interviewed over 6,000 guests yeah. in, in that period of time. And, you know, when I talk to people down there and tell them the amount of number of shows we put out and, you know, our listener base being over 130,000 now and, yeah. you know, they just don't understand how we get it all done. And it's just, you know, it, it, it's... Do you it's, know? Do you know no, how you I get it No, I have no idea. <laughs> uh, it's just a lot of freaking hours is how it gets done. But, um <laughs> But it's just Jennifer and I here at the at the studios in Ocala, and it's thanks to the wonderful hosts like you guys. I mean, we have 20 great hosts here on the network, and I feel so blessed that we have so many terrific hosts. They're all wonderful, and they're all fun to work with. And thank you, Debbie, for helping make the Horse Radio Network one of the best. I'm just glad to grab your coattails. It's been a it's a fun little ride, but I'm just beginning. So, um, you know, I I've been listening. Yeah, to but you I'll tell you what. Time. I will tell you what. You're at episode 47. You are in the top 2% of all podcasts in the world ah. because most of them don't make it past six months. Quitters. What? Yeah, that's, that's exactly <laughs> right. So here you uh, are now. You're at episode 47. Yeah, well, sometimes your foot planted in my tush. But no, you didn't kick me a lot. I really enjoyed it. I you took It took a while to get me talked into Actually, starting. yeah, everything's been great since I got you started. It was getting yeah. you started that took uh, jumper cables. It did. Uh, yeah. That's true. It took, I, it was one of those things where I had to start, you know, talking to myself. Okay, you will do this. You must do this. It's probably going to be fun. I don't know. But it, it has been really fun. What a fun ride so far. And just really fun to, to well, actually and you know what? be a part I of it. I can't. I can't tell you how many how many compliments you get from listeners who Aww. love 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 your show. And oh, my mom called in again, and my dad, right? 
<laughs> and they just love your show. And I think your dad's very proud of what you're doing here. So, uh, and the whole organization is, and you, you should be proud as well. It, you know, it really does add a regular steady voice uh, to, and a voice that I don't think many people had heard before because, you know, your dad's been out there and your mom, but you were always kind of in the background working hard. And yeah, uh, I was like you and Jen back in the back room. Sleeping. That's right. That's right. But <laughs> no, now we've no, got he, you out front a little bit. I'm so glad to be out front. And I'm so glad to actually have uh, a, a market representative, if you want to call it that, of horses uh, that, and people in the recreational field because it is fun to, to listen to the different disciplines that maybe we don't get involved in so much. Um, I mean, to hear your driving shows, that's a whole nother world for me. And that's been a lot of fun. And the David Saunders and some of the characters you bring into it. Uh, but I, you know, I think the recreational writer was unrepresented out there, um, it kind of listening in on the other yep. things. Yeah, yep. so it was yep. really fun to bring that to us. And, and that's 90% deep. of our audience. Oh, gosh. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, because our, you know, not all, most of our audience does not compete. I don't compete, right? Yeah. So yeah. I'm in yeah. that recreational category. I'm a recreational driver. So Yeah, but that's yeah. what keeps horses in our lives, which is what's right. so fun about doing this is it keeps them relevant. And, and there's so many different directions that people take horses in their lives, too. So, you know, endless. We'll be here until we're very old and gray. That's right. Well, let's hope so. I'm, I'm already old and gray. I mean, <laughs> take much to get me there. So, so tell me, uh, who are we going to? Now, you did a trip, right? So this is all about your summer vacation, basically. Yeah, how I spent my summer vacation. That's right. And uh, I'm really excited to introduce you to a couple of really fun people. One is a dear, dear friend of mine that I've known for a long time, but I really didn't get to see her world before of where she rides uh, up in Washington State. And the other one I just got to meet because I was up in the the Palouse country. And, um, I, you know, Carrie LaForce from the Appaloosa Horse Club is just one of those people that um, will now be a resource for me and uh, really enjoyed her depth of knowledge up there and how important the Appaloosa uh, breed and the registry is to uh, a lot of our history of our country. Sounds really fun. So let's get started with how I spent my summer vacation. Hi, I'm Mark Hebner, president of Index Fund Advisors and proud owner of Monty Roberts Willing Partners graduate, He's a Sugar Bear. <laughs> you know, investment portfolios are a lot like horses. You need to find one that best suits you, your temperament, and your stage of life. Some people might like an energetic horse and an aggressive investment portfolio, while others are more comfortable with a gentle ride and a more conservative investment portfolio. The trick is to find the one that's right for you. That's what Index Fund Advisors is all about, matching people with portfolios, risk-appropriate, low-cost, and globally diversified investment portfolios. You can find the right portfolio for you by taking the Risk Capacity Survey at ifa.com. That's IFA as an Index Fund Advisors. Or you can call us toll-free at 888-643-3133. That's 888-643-3133. 
Recently, I met Carrie LaForce from the Appaloosa Horse Club, one of the top international equine breed registries in the world. And I met her in the state of Idaho, but I was just over the border. And they have adopted the Appaloosa as the state horse way back in 1975. But the registry predates the quarter horse registry way early in the century. I visited the Appaloosa Horse Club headquarters in Moscow, Idaho. Yes, that's Moscow, Idaho, in the heart of the Palouse region in the Northwest. Fun fact. The word Appaloosa comes from the phrase a Palouse horse, referring to the breed's origin in the Palouse country. Well, welcome, Carrie LaForce. I'm excited to be here in the middle of Palouse country, right. where the Appaloosa was named for. And I'm happy that you um, agreed to give us a little time for Horsemanship Radio. Thank you First for asking I, me. No, well, you know what? I'm privileged to be here. It's a beautiful time. It's a beautiful area. And it's a beautiful place for horses. So it I'm is. excited about always being in beautiful horse country. But we want to dive into the Appaloosa breed a little bit. And here I am sitting in the registry and the place really where it all started. So tell us a little bit about your position here at the Appaloosa Horse Club Registry. Okay, well, I've been here 23 years. Um, I started in the show department when I was in college, and I was just doing some hand key of show results back in the day when that's how we still did everything. And then it's evolved into this career. And now I'm um, the supervisor of the performance department. And within the department that contains all of our uh, regional shows, the show industry cross-section of our um, of our company and then also the racing division and mm-hmm. our trail and distance programs. Wow. And then I also manage our national and world shows. National and world shows. Yes. So this is all headquartered right out of this building here yes. in Moscow, Idaho. That's is. amazing. That's amazing. So how many are in the breed registry now? How many registered app, uh, Appaloosas do you have? Um, we have uh, close to 700,000 registered Appaloosas that we've documented since the beginning of you know, the registry when it was informed, when it was formed in 1938. In 1938. So mm-hmm. it's actually a relatively new registry as some of the breeds go. Um, well, I guess, yes, in terms of if you want to compare it to maybe Arabians or something right. like that, but yeah. um, it was formed the year before the American Quarter Horse Association was formed and well before American Pain Horse Association, some of those other groups were formed. So we've been around quite a while. Okay. You brought up a good point. What's the difference in the registry between a pain horse and an Appaloosa horse? Well, I mean, the most basic difference is the color pattern. Um, Appaloosas are, um, they have characteristics that involve a coat pattern. Um, I guess for the layman, the difference is small spots for Appaloosas versus big spots for paint horses, you know, big patches of color. Um, Appaloosas also have other characteristics, um, striped hooves, which um, a lot of horses will have on a white leg, but mm-hmm. Appaloosas will have um, on a solid colored leg, a dark leg. And so they'll have striped hooves. Ah, mm-hmm. okay. And then they have um, something that's called mottled skin that will typically occur around the eyes and on the muzzle and then on the genitalia of the horses. And then... Um, is it also mottled, though, under the hair sometimes, too, like that we wouldn't see? Or is it mostly in those? You know, I can't, I don't, I can't answer that question. I know that... Um, uh, it's a different um, coat or skin color, you know, than yeah. it's, it's not the same as it is with a paint horse. 
Right. Okay. okay right. So, Good point. but I guess I can't really answer that question, yeah. but that's typically where you see it is around the eyes and, right. you and know, people, the muscle. Yeah. I, I've noticed it there, but I've right. also, yeah, I have to be careful. I think sometimes with burning, you know, and the, those little white spots were. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And then appaloosas also have white sclera like humans do. And so they'll have white sclera around there. Um, the colored part of their eye, which they're the only horses that will have that it's characteristic. Oh, okay. Yes. All right. Great. Well, tell us a little history since we're right here in the middle of the summer in the Nez Perce area. The wheat is up to our beyond our knees now, and it just looks like Indian country out here. Tell us how these horses came to be in the Palouse area. Well, I believe, or at least the general... Um, theory about that is that the horses came from Spain originally and that they made their way across um, the North American continent and they eventually ended up here in the hands of the Nez Perce tribe. Mm-hmm. And the Nez Perce tribe um, selectively bred them for certain characteristics, for speed, for agility, for sure-footedness, mm-hmm. um, for stamina. Those were some of the main characteristics that they were breeding for. And of course, color. I mean... Yeah, um, they're so beautiful. Yeah, so... They wanted a horse that would be able to traverse this terrain, which um, if you've spent very much time here in the Northwest, we have valleys and mountains and rolling hills and steep, you know, the banks of the Snake River are steep and um, not a lot of vegetation and it's rocky in some places and then it's deep dirt in some places. I mean, I think so the, so the goal was that they would have a horse that would be able to traverse all of that different kind of terrain. That's a lot to ask. <laughs> it is. Yeah. It is. You've got yeah. volcanic um, plateaus. And yes. A lot of rocky areas that I saw. Exactly. We drove across, uh, you know, to Colfax and yeah. all these Well, areas. and certainly the farm ground is not what it obviously it wasn't yeah. that then but yeah. it would have been prairie right um you right. know and prairie grass and that kind of thing mm-hmm. so there would have been a lot of wide open spaces in addition to mountainous terrain mm-hmm. and wilderness so, so you use these horses or the, the indians certainly use them like endurance horse i mean they they did they hunt with them did they use Cert, them? i'm yeah. certain they must have yeah. yeah yeah so and the nez pierce i know ended up being a bit of a um a warrior uh, Indian group as well that um, they use their horses uh, to, a, as a uh, means of tracking down and escaping from. I imagine um, both the the settlers that were coming in and the other Indian tribes too. So these horses need to be fleet of foot, fast. Um, Absolutely. Healthy. So uh, one thing that I we were talking about earlier is they actually gelded some of the horses that they felt wouldn't. Um, do well for the breed and so the selective breeding you really meant that they they had intent and purposes of absolutely getting stronger yes. faster horses absolutely great so what do we I, I know that the breed almost died out yes what happened then so um in 1877 um the nez were fleeing the u.s cavalry and um it was a. I, I guess I'm not a historian, so I don't have all of the details. That's but there a, was we won't a. Hold you to every year. Yeah. <laughs> so there we were. There. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So there was a. There was a 1,300 mile, um, I guess, race to get away from the cavalry that was chasing them, and it started in what's now present day Oregon and went through Idaho, uh, parts of uh, Washington, Idaho, uh, Wyoming, Montana, Goodness. and then. Um, 
they made it almost to the Canadian border and then they were caught by the cavalry. And when they were caught by the cavalry and they surrendered eventually, then the cavalry, um, because I guess they credit much of their ability to stay ahead of the cavalry to the horses, because there were many people, women, children, elderly folks that were traveling with um, the group of Nez Perce. And so Mm -hmm. they credit much of their ability to evade the U.S. cavalry over 1,300 miles to these amazing horses that they had along the way. And so when they surrendered uh, just south of the Canadian border, they didn't quite make it to safety. Mm -hmm. And then the U.S. cavalry basically disbanded their herd of horses because they felt like Again, that was one of the reasons they were able to evade them for so long. And so they really took those horses and they disbanded them and they bred them to draft horses. And they really did everything they could to breed out the characteristics that the Nez Perce had worked so hard to breed into the horses. So, and then, um, you know, years later in 1938 is um, when we first became organized as a breed association. But those folks that did that, their real intent, I guess, at the time was not only to document the lineage of these horses, but to try to bring them back to their former glory in terms mm-hmm. of their bloodlines and their um, their stamina and their characteristics. And characteristic attributes of, of the breed. Exactly. The Nez Good. Yeah, yeah, and and so interesting. You were talking about this thirteen hundred mile um, track being reenacted. Tell us a little bit about that. So every year um, we have what we call the Chief Joseph Trail Ride, and that trail ride is um, for Appaloosa registered horses only. Um, we do offer some other trail rides that are open to all breeds, but this particular ride is Appaloosa registered only, and. Each year we trace a hundred miles of that thirteen hundred mile trek that the that the Nez Perce took to evade the cavalry. And it starts in Oregon and it goes through all of those states until it eventually ends in Montana, south of the uh, Canadian border. And so we ride that a hundred miles of that every year, and it takes obviously thirteen years mm-hmm. to get through the thirteen hundred miles. Yeah. And this is the fourth time that we've done that whole thirteen year Cycle. Uh, cycle, yeah. So actually, this year is the twelfth year of the thirteen-year cycle. So one more next year will be at the um, battlefield where the surrender took place, and then the following year we'll start back over in Oregon and start the whole cycle again. Who leads these things? Who is who is out there? Um, well, we have a trail and distance coordinator here in our office that plans the rides. We have a fantastic crew of people that have been working them for many years. And this ride is actually an interesting ride in that it's not a base camp ride. The camp actually packs up and moves every single day. Oh, wow. So the riders are riding, you know, 20 to 25 miles a day. Great. And the camp is picked up, packed up, moved to the next location, and then set all out again that day. And then they, yeah. the riders ride back into the new camp that night and they have meals and entertainment and Sounds fun. Yeah. That must be a volunteer army that you have. Well, we have um, a great crew, like I said, and we have um, scouts that have been our scouts for a number of years. We have, um, and then we have folks that are local to the different areas where the Um, ride is going through that they help us plan the trail routes. I mean, it's not always possible to stay on the exact trail, right? Because 
there might be a building there. Progress, now. <laughs> exactly. Perfect. Or a town or yeah, a, you know. Sure, sure. So, but we try to do the best we can to stay as close to the route as we possibly can. And, That's kind of fun. and so it takes a lot of local coordination. I mean, I sometimes we imagine. have to cross a highway or sometimes, um, you know, so you have police involved, BLM, Forest Service. Right, I mean, right. there's a huge, you know, um, the logistics of it are I pretty know. major. But you're only asking them to do it once every 13 years, I suppose, in that local In area, that location, anyway. that's yeah, true. so that's not a bad way to yeah. do it. And how many people go on this ride, typically? Well, um, we'll have anywhere from 100 to probably 250 riders. Oh. Just a lot of it depends upon the location, the, the year, yeah. yeah, whatever leg it is. And yeah, um, yeah so... Yeah. Sometimes how, how the would, price of gas. Oh, yeah. You know, <laughs> True. Of that course. flux quite a bit. So, over there. so it's yeah. like nearly 50 years you've been doing this, too. Yeah. So. Well, 50. This is our 51st year. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. So um, so somebody has to be on a registered Appaloosa to be um, involved in this. Yes. What What do they need to, to do to get um, signed up for it if they want to be next Call year? us and... Check our website, and we put the um, the application forms are out on the website um, early, probably usually around February, March. Those applications will be out on our website, and you can see what the price is and where the location is. And okay. um, sometimes folks don't have an Appaloosa. They may have another breed, but they really want to come on the ride. So we have some people that um, will rent a horse Sneak to in. you or, oh, okay. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that have a couple extras that they'll say, oh, yeah, we'll nice. throw them in the trailer and bring them along. And, okay, good. And one really great thing is that we work really closely with the Nez Perce tribe. No kidding. And so we have um, the... the um, Nespers Reservation is just south of our offices here in Moscow, and they're down in Lapway, Idaho, which is about, well, probably 40 miles, 45 miles south of here. And so we work closely with the foundation and, you know, with um, groups from the Nez Person. So we um, have some of the youth that are able to come on scholarship and come on the ride. And it's been great to work with them because they bring a real historical connection sure. yeah, um, no, between that, present that day and yeah. yeah yeah and generational i imagine that absolutely they have stories and absolutely oh, that makes it that makes it even the more interesting now is there alcohol involved in this or are we we cut we, off on we this? don't oh, serve okay. but i suppose no, I mean, there are people who <laughs> bring some along yeah <laughs> so it's camping and alcohol you know, exactly. often go together so and, and now we have entertainment at the ride okay. so we have it's kind of an interesting thing we have this giant dance floor oh, yeah. that is all um a big wooden dance floor that fits together like a big puzzle and they put that up and level it every single night so that, and then we have um, some entertainment and they come out and play music and there's dancing and yeah. So I think they have a really good time. Yeah. Yeah. When they get back to camp every night, (laughs) (laughs) they're not too sore. So what's the youngest and what's the oldest that's ever been? Well, we, um, the youngest age limit for us is 12 because of the, I guess, rigor of the ride. Um, But, I'll tell you, we have um, a lady that's on the ride who has been on every single ride, 52 years. Every mile. She, every mile, every ride. She went on the very first one and she's on this one. That is so cool. She's the only one. Yeah, but okay. She's, well, it, yeah. there's one at all. But there are some other folks that have been on many, many. But she's she's her name's Anne Michelle. She's amazing. She's the only one that's been on every single ride. That's amazing. So yeah. she's got to be over... 65. So I don't know. Never mind. I, I would never guess, but. <laughs> never mind. Um, well, tell me how they take care of the horses. I mean, there must be some contingencies for horses. So we have a farrier that comes on the ride. We have a veterinarian that comes on the ride. We have, um, we have, uh, 
people can bring their um, trucks and trailers depending on the so some folks will bring a truck and trailer and they'll have a driver that will drive their rig from location to location every day. And other folks will tent it. So they'll just park their vehicle at destination camp and then um, they'll bring tents and they'll just, you know, rough it for the week. Mm-hmm. Um, but we do have, and we have a doctor that's on the ride to help okay. take care of the people. Yeah. And we bring in water trucks. So there's water. We bring in um certified weed-free hay. I mean, so all of those things to try to make sure that we're taking care of people and horses. Yeah, Mm -hmm. happy, healthy. Well, I I don't want to get away from us without talking a little bit more about the versatility of the breed. Absolutely. People know the color, but what do they really know about the breed? And tell me about their, um, their abilities. Tell me about their demeanor. Tell me a little bit about them. Well, um, I think most people would tell you, people that have been involved with Appaloosas for a long time, they'll tell you that one of the things that they love most about these horses is that they can do pretty much anything. We have Appaloosas that are racing. We have Appaloosas that show, that rain, that cut, that rope, that do endurance. Mm -hmm. Um, We have a national championship endurance ride Mm -hmm. every year. Um, And next year, we're teaming up with the Arabian Horse Association, and we're going to... Join forces and have our our championship rides together. Um, so they're they really do everything. They're kids' horses. They're you know a, a lot of people love them because they're um, docile and have a nice temperament, mm-hmm. and they're willing. Um, mm-hmm. And and they're speed horses. They're I mean you know they pretty mm-hmm. much do everything. So I would I would say that most folks would say that they find them to be very versatile. And I know that's sort of a catchphrase. Yeah, I know for a lot mean, of yeah. breeds, but I think it's really true that. Um, you find in a lot of breeds that there's a lot of specialized horses. There's the reigning horse, the pleasure horse, the um, English horse, the speed horse, the you know. Yeah. And so you find that in a lot of associations. But here you find that um, horses are doing a lot of different things. The same horse is doing a lot of different things, mm-hmm. you know. So they're, uh, they can't, and they're, and they're able to do a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, and they hold up really well. I mean, right. I, yeah, mm-hmm. is good, bone, good bone, good bone structure, and and yeah, so they're they're and that strong. White hoof, that white in the hoof doesn't uh, create any problems for their hooves and all this hundred. I must not. If I mean, not if that I'm. Yeah, yeah, not that I yeah. have ever heard of. I mean, I think just as a horse person, generally people will say that horses that have white hooves, because I have one at home mm-hmm. um, that has one white foot, and it grows differently than the other three feet on that horse, you know, so we deal with that foot differently with the farrier than you do the other three. So I think that there's probably a little bit of that, that you, but they're holding up, but they, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. No. And you know, color these days seems to be so popular. We're getting into a, um, an era maybe that, um, 80, 85% of horse owners are recreational. Right. And so they start choosing horses for their versatility, certainly, but also their color. They want something unique, something unique. Right. That's right. The blue eye or whatever. So, I mean, Appaloosas just seem to fit. Certainly. There would, I, I think there's probably no two Appaloosas that ever looked alike in terms of a coat pattern or um, color. They look, maybe look similar to one another, but nobody has the exact same yeah. spotted blanket, same you know? Fine, so, uh, and you can have everything from a leopard horse that has spots all over its body to one with a blanket to one with a sprinkling of, 
you know, snowflakes over its hip. I mean, you know, there's all, there's something for everyone really in terms of that. And then one thing I think that a lot of people maybe don't realize, um, or is that we allow horses that are solid colored to participate in our events. So if you're a bloodline, Appaloosa by bloodline. So you have Appaloosa parents, but you have, but you're solid. Right. Um, you can still participate in our events. So oh, I think that you don't have any throwaway horses, mm-hmm. but those horses, I think the more and more that we're finding out about genetics and that kind of thing, those horses can be carriers, right. you know, of, of, yeah. so, um, a, a lot of folks will say that if you have a minimally colored mare, um, that she'll produce more color than a loud colored oh, mare. So, yeah. I, I mean, I know there's some genetic um, mm-hmm. proof of that. Mm-hmm. I'm no geneticist, but I know that there's a lot of, uh, over many years, there's a lot of anecdotal mm-hmm. information about that that I think is being proven out recently in genetic studies. Yeah. There's a study called the Appaloosa Project that's actually, they've done a ton of work on um, genetics and color genetics and um, have identified um, color genetics in Appaloosas and, you know, what that means mm-hmm. in terms of what, whether they'll perpetuate that coat pattern or not. Good. It's kind of amazing. It is. Well, it, I think your operation here is an amazing thing in the middle of, you know, Moscow, Idaho, right. of all places. But, um, you know, it's it's a beautiful place for people to visit. I, sh- I should hope that they would come here and see your museum. And our museum, museum is amazing. Yeah, yeah, it goes way back and that you have ex- exhibits that come through and, and different things going yes. on. I see that you've got some activity going on, some uh, big banner outside. I'll put a picture up on the, on the Facebook right. page. But yeah. yeah so well, the there. museum is open, I believe, um, six days a week. And then during the summer, we actually have a live horse exhibit. So we have a um, our pasture behind our office that has a live horse in it. And so there are a lot of things that happen during the summer with um, groups that come in. And um, I think last weekend or the weekend before was Appaloosa Fest. So they came in and had a picnic and took rides and, you know, so Fun stuff. yeah. So I hope people will come and visit and, and see where the Appaloosa horse was uh, really came together and became a registry here, yes. which is historical and maybe even join your ride. Um, the That'd be great. One of the, one of the legs at least of yeah, the exactly. hundred mile hike. And that I hope we get to have somebody from your, your organization on again to hear more about your activities. And That'd be great. Yeah. yeah. We have a lot of stuff going on. Yeah, you a lot do, of stuff. Carrie. And um, so we've heard from Steve Taylor before on the Horse right. Network. And you guys just have a ton of talented, very dedicated people. I can tell by your operations. A small um, staff, but huge operation here. What yes. Is, what all the things that you do. Right. For the yeah. We put on our national and world shows every year. We have a magazine. A magazine. That we, yeah, yeah. yeah that it's a monthly magazine that we put out from this office every month. In addition to those two huge shows that we put on in Fort Worth. Texas right now. Fort Worth, Texas. Yeah. Well, thank so. you so much for your dedication to the Appaloosa. Thank you. And um, thank you for keeping the breed strong and, and interesting. And uh, we would love to have you back sometime. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you, Carrie LaForce, being on Horsemanship Radio. Um, we're really excited because Sean's Omega Fields company has done something amazing for one of our test horses. His name is Cadillac. And we felt so strongly about it that um, we definitely wanted to bring him on as a sponsor of Horsemanship Radio. And we wanted you to know that it came in that 
um, order first is that we were so impressed with this product and with this horse's results that we wanted to have him a part of our, um, our monthly shows. What is it about the Omega Fields product? Something's different. Omega Fields uh, was built around a really um, unique and proprietary technology. Flaxseed has been known for a long time to contain rich source of omega-3 fatty acids along with omega-6 and omega-9 fatty acids in, in a near-perfect balance. But historically, there was a problem using it. It's high in fat, and when it was uh, milled into a feed product or a food product, it, it would go rancid very quickly. So our company had developed a proprietary technology for stabilizing this high-fat flaxseed to make it usable, uh, give it a long shelf life in a natural uh, environment. We don't use any chemicals or additives to mm-hmm. extend the shelf life or anything like that. It's a completely natural process. That's what makes our flax really different. Um, it makes it usable. It makes it nutritious over a long period of time. We guarantee an 18-month shelf life, so consumers can use it with confidence without it going rancid that you know would potentially harm the horse. So quality of manufacture, every single thing in that uh, product, Omega Horse Shine, is food grade. It's made at a food grade facility with great care of product quality. Uh, the stabilization technology makes that omega-3 uh, nutrition, nutritional value locked in and usable for a long period of time. So proof is in the pudding, so to speak, that it, it really works. You'll see dramatic results in a fairly short period of time. What is better than getting together with friends and horses for a chase around the forest? Absolutely nothing, says our next guest, Melody Fleckenstein. Melody Fleckenstein has the distinction as a master of foxhounds and rides at the Woodbrook Woodbrook Hunt Club in Lakewood, Washington. That's hard to say. Where they use scent drag hunting on a beautiful property south of Seattle. And though it's it's the oldest club in existence west of the Mississippi, but they're really progressive using social media and they keep the best of the sport, you know, the best parts of fox hunting alive and well by involving the young riders in the sport. And, And they're all having fun with horses. So I'm privileged today to be with Melody Fleckenstein, a long, long life equestrian woman who has um, transferred her life from the East Coast to the West Coast some years ago. What is that, Melody, uh, 20, 30 years ago? Uh, Over 30 years ago. Over 30 years ago, she moved to the West Coast and I met her in Seattle and was familiar with her through business and, uh, and friendship. But later on, understood that she had a an equestrian life as well, and I would love to share that with people. What you tell us a little bit about how you got into horses originally. I think uh, I think you actually have the horse gene when you're born, <laughs> and you know my parents were always waiting for when you know I got 16 and got a boyfriend or got a car that I would give up the horses, but I never did. There was no horses in my family. Nobody rode in my family, and I was just would do anything to ride. So they did let me start riding when I was probably 10 or 11 years old, and I just never looked back. And I rode in college. I've ridden Western when I was in high school and um, college and showed a little bit. Then I moved um, and showed actually Tennessee walking horses, gated horses, Western pleasure. Uh, when I moved to the East Coast, I had a friend ask me if I wanted to try fox hunting. And I was probably in my 20s working down on Wall Street, 
and they had to, uh, I, I got hooked. I mean, the first time I hunted, I was absolutely hooked on fox hunting. And I hunted with uh, two hunts. One was called Beaufort. Um, when I moved my horse from living in uh, Pennsylvania at the time down to Connecticut, or from Connecticut to Pennsylvania, and I stopped at this one farm, and it turns out that the guy that owned the farm was the master of foxhounds. Master of foxhounds. Master of foxhounds. Yeah. And he said, you know, yes, I'll board your horse, but you must hunt with me. And he got me hooked on it. And then I um, hunted in upstate New York with Ron Bout Hunt. So Beaufort Hunt was my first hunt, and then Ron Bout Hunt. Now a member of uh, Woodbrook. I'm the master of foxhounds at Woodbrook Hunt in Lakewood, Washington. Tell us about the master of the hounds. The master is the one that's in charge of the hunt, particularly on the hunt day. Um, you've got the master of foxhounds who's in charge of everything that has to do with hunting. And then you've got the staff, the huntsman, who controls the hounds. Um, you'll have joint masters and field masters, which the nice thing about fox hunting is we try to make it available to all levels of riders and all ages of riders. So mm-hmm. I've taken a four-year-old on a lead line on a hunt. Really? And we've oh. got uh, a British woman who's one of my um, senior advisory masters, uh, Joanna Herringstad, who is in her 80s, and she's oh. still leading a second flight, jumping flight. Um, so, you know, you can really you see every type of horse and every discipline and uh, every occupation from the riders in there. That's amazing. So four to 80. Yeah. Four to no, 80, limits. Yeah. <laughs> no limits. No and, limits. And what is it that, that hooked you that first time when you were up in Pennsylvania? Was it the exhilaration of the... Of the... I think so. I think it was like my younger daughter, Nicole, the first time she hunted, and she'd been showing for a couple of years, and she came back from the hunt and goes, why would I ever show uh, when I could do this? Um, I think it must have been, the you know, you're galloping and trotting and cantering and you're with a group of your friends and it's beautiful countryside and you come back and you have a hot hunt breakfast. Um, and it's just kind of the best way you can spend a day on a horse. And it's just, uh, and I think it really, because the riders today, if they're only trained to ride in a ring and they know it's four strides, five strides, diagonal. And out there, the kids develop an eye because you don't know when that log is coming up. Is that four mm-hmm. or five strides? You don't really care, and the horse may move up. So the best, I mean, George Morris grew up fox hunting. There you go. So you've got, if you look back at a lot of the older best riders, they grew up fox hunting, and mm-hmm. they developed that eye. Mm-hmm. And for the kids, and actually for the adults, it doesn't matter if you have a Palomino or a Pinto or right. Appaloosa or what have you. You just want a good, safe horse to ride on. Yeah. It doesn't matter. You know, you don't have to have the correct clothes or anything like that. You've got to have certain, there's certain dress standards. But other than that, it's just enjoying yourself, watching the hounds work. It's all about watching the hounds work. Yeah. And, uh, and just enjoying, you know, centuries-old sport. Yeah, I, it's a cool tradition. Yeah. So tell us, what does what watching the hounds work look like? Is that leading well, you? Uh, we do a drag hunt because you're not allowed to hunt dogs with, uh, or, or live animals with dogs in the state of Washington. So we lay drag lines. But it's really about appreciating a good hunting dog or hunting foxhound in this this place. So you will, when I hunted in upstate New York with Ron Bout, it was live hunting. And so was Beaufort. So you know pretty much the huntsman is going to know where the foxes live, and he will take the pack and he will cast them, and they will, you know, go and look for the fox, smell the fox, and then you'll just, one of them will just start, you know, barking, we call it giving voice, and they'll go streaming out, and as your heart just starts pounding, because then you gallop after them, and the hunting horn's blowing. And the nice thing is everybody can enjoy it if you don't want to jump, 
and Gallup, there'll be a flight that will know exactly or pretty close to where you're going to end up. And they'll be there to watch the horses and the riders come in, or they'll be be able to watch a lot of the kids jump or something like that. So it's just really the fee, the, the you know the thrill of, of having those hounds hit the scent, yeah. give voice, chase them, and then we don't have a real fox at the end. So there's always treats for the hounds when they get yeah. to the end of the line. Yeah. It's just very very exciting. So it's a sport in that respect, but the the, the hunters are the hounds. Right, right. So, okay, so you're taking the hounds' leads on that. How many hounds am I looking at when I'm thinking well, about this? Oh, some of the packs are, are 30 or 40. That really? We'll hunt, you know, 12, 15, 10, no, 12, 12, 15. You yeah. Know, so so that's just, loud, right? I mean, they all bark. They all give voice. Yeah. If they all give voice, it's very loud, very exciting. So, there's some great videos on the internet to listen to that. Too. I imagine. Yeah. There you go. YouTube that one. Yes, YouTube that, yes. <laughs> yeah, that'd be fun. And and the horses, they. How do you desensitize to all those things that you just? I mean, that's sensory overload. What you just. It is def- definitely sens- sensory overload, and usually um, we have a flight for uh, called Hilltoppers, which is green horse and green riders, and we encourage people to start in the summer on trail rides where we're riding over the terrain that we know we'll be hunting on. And I, if I take a young horse, like I got a willing partner horse from your dad. Mm -hmm. And so right now he's been going just at the back. So he knows that the tiger at the back of the pack is not going to attack him. He has to be fine with going in the back and then he's allowed to move up to the middle and then they can leave. But I'm always making sure that they go back to the back um, so you don't have the issues of, you know, horse that somebody comes and says, my horse has to be in the front. Well, your horse can't be in the front because that's the field master's position. Yeah. So um, that's really, it's just a, a long time. It'll take, you know, two to three years at least to develop. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. So what, what age is a good developed horse looking for? Is it like it dressage, seven, nine? No, it depends on the, mind. No, oh, it depends okay. on the mind. You good. can have a good quarter horse that could do it in a year or two. Yeah. Um, but you always start, preferably start them in the hilltopper group, and then there'll be a second flight and a first flight. And the second flight will do cantering. We, hilltoppers usually walk trot, mm-hmm. and they get to see everything going on, and they get to hear the hounds. That's smart. And they get to go to the check, and they have the hounds milling around, and then all the other horses. And then that flight leaves, and they have to be okay with that flight leaving them. Right, yeah. And they stand there quietly, and they wait for their flight to leave. Um, I think for people that are looking for hunt horses is, if you're not one of the boldest riders is don't buy a horse that's already hunted because they, if they've hunted and they've hunted either been a whip horse or a first flight horse, that horse is going to want to go back with those horses. Right. Yeah. And so you're better off getting a, a good trail horse, a backcountry horseman horse or something good. like that. Or uh-huh. backcountry back horse. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's another organization that does yes. uh, uh, great work they in that great they're cleaning work, yeah. trails and yes, yeah. they yeah they're just big champions and lobbyists for preserving wildness for riders. So those horses are pretty good. Now they don't canter and gallop a lot, but they mm-hmm. certainly are very good on trails mm-hmm. and in groups and that sort of mm-hmm. thing. So is it tough keeping a horse sound in in the hunt? Um, no, we just well, we're very rocky country, so we usually put pads on the front feet mm-hmm. and shoes on the back. But some horses mm-hmm. have tough feet, mm-hmm. not barefoot. Mm-hmm. And it's yeah, that's that's not usually a problem. It's, you know, keeping them sound over the summers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In the East Coast, they basically pull the shoes and turn them out for a couple of months, and then bring it back. We do the same thing with the hounds. In the summer, they don't get uh, exercised on horseback; they get walked out. 
we walk them out and then bring, so they kind of get the summer off too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So well, that's that's true. I hadn't thought about, yeah, for the, the keeping your hounds sewn too. You gotta, yeah, everybody's yeah, gotta be healthy. Miles and miles that they're going. Yeah. Yeah. True. So what, what do you think you've seen? How long have you been in the hunt now then? You've I've been, been hunting since, so I'm 66. I've been hunting since I was 21. That's off and on, yeah. A, yeah. Off so 50-ish years yeah. you've been working yeah. at this. What What's the biggest transition you've seen? Is is the sport growing, shrinking? What I do we need to encourage? Shrinking. What we're finding is that we're losing the sort of 25, 30-year-old are dropping out while they raise kids, just mm-hmm. the financial commitment of keeping horses. So we're trying to develop some lease horses. In England, of course, it's been banned. So they're all, quote, drag hunting, which is what we do in Washington. Okay. And we watch that very closely. Um, on the East Coast now, uh, you have much more of the anti-hunting, where they're still hunting live, mm-hmm. that are trying to stop the fox hunting. Not Only because here. they're because of the fox, not because of yes. the sport itself, though. Huh? Uh, well, because the sport kills will kill foxes or coyotes. It is the sport mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. So they're. But if you just do a drag scent and there and there's no death involved, okay. yeah, yeah, that should be okay with that. Yeah, yeah. So, so there we, are we more need and to... more drag hunts are starting. There you go. And a lot of it is because they're just losing. That the foxes are being decimated by whatever, mm-hmm. and the coy- and some of the coyotes are too. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of the hunts that used to be exclusively fox. Now there's uh, many, many coyote hunts. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and many, many coyotes. And many coyotes, <laughs> yes. Everywhere the coyotes are taking Sure, they're bold they're in the city. They're in downtown too. Seattle. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, exactly. They're everywhere. Yeah. So I think that's that's it. And um, we're just trying to make it more of a, open to you know anybody that wants to try mm. it. Oh, that we, sounds exciting. We invite Western riders, um, and usually they get hooked on it, and then they find out if you have an English saddle or hunt saddle or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's just um, because it is, there's no pressure to look a certain way or ride a certain way. Mm-hmm. It's more about, you know, like I said, watching hounds work and be do well with a compatible group of people and mm-hmm. spend the day on horseback. And it's a great way to start a week. Of yeah. Yeah. Box yeah. Uh, great weekend. And, yeah. and they really do blow the horns, right? Yes. They really the, do. The, the horns are signals to the hounds. There's certain blows that'll say, you know, come into me oh. or, you know, gone away. Great voice. Keep going type of thing. So there's, they're, they're actually trained to, to it, it's certain commands for the hounds. With, no with kidding. The, you know, oh, yeah. so it's not just one horn no, blow. No, no, go. Yeah. 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 They have horn blowing contests and, oh, fun. you know, so Yes, it's all very um, And not everybody has an English accent that's out there no. with you, right? <laughs> None of them do. <laughs> None of them do anymore. It's every yeah. conceivable occupation that's on there, and that's the great thing. It's a melting pot sport. Yeah, I love um, that. Yeah. yeah. And, and your fox hunt club is called? Woodbrook, Woodbrook Hunt Club. Woodbrook Hunt Club and started in? Actually, they started hunting in 1911 on Fort Lewis, the Army base, and it was a cavalry hunt. Ah. So it was then moved, um, and then we were we were located. They wanted to build McCord Air Force Base, so we were moved then to Lakewood, and we've been there. We incorporated in 1926, and we're uh, associated with uh, the Master of Foxhounds in Middleburg, Virginia. Okay. So we have a national governing body that we have certain things that we have to you know mm-hmm. subscribe to as far as. You know, how we run the hunt, mm-hmm. how many foxhounds we have, how well they're kept, staff, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're a great organization. They have you know yearly seminars for one thing or another, and it's uh, you know just 
making sure that the, the sport will endure mm-hmm. here and everywhere worldwide. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I saw your Facebook page, so I know you're transitioning yeah. into social media and yes, we are. getting progressive, even though you're the oldest hunt club west, west of the Mississippi. Mississippi. Yes. And we have about, you know, close to a hundred members That's and, amazing. you know, we're going to kind of play around with Twitter and Instagram this summer. And oh, yeah. Instagram would be perfect for you. Yes. Very you know, visual. I can, uh, what I'm picturing is that it's just when we take off or when, Somebody snaps a quick picture when the hounds first give voice. We have that six-second vine or something like that yeah. to kind of really uh, get people excited about coming out and trying it. And we, then we do hunter paces. We do a series of three of those, which are a marked course with three the three flights that you would have in a hunt. You have your hilltopper, which is your walk trot, or as we say, we go as fast as the slowest person wants to go. Uh-huh. And that means anybody can go, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, first and second flight. So somebody will run like a five or six mile course at the perfect speed for that hilltopper. So it's a walk trot. And then um, you will basically see how close you get to the time. And so we have a series of three, and then you get a high point winner at the end of that. We have a hunter trials, which is like a fox hunting horse show. Yeah. Uh, and then a lot of trail rides and triple crown parties. And so for the hunts, it's a year-round activity. And it's very affordable when you look at it for what it costs to go to a horse show, like a family membership is $750 and a single membership is $550, but that's 12 months right? and um, the ability to, you know, do something just about every weekend with other people. Yeah. That's a terrific way to to do family time too. Well, it sounds fantastic. I think, I think you probably sold a few of us anyway. Yeah, I need to get you out on (laughs) Yeah, that's right. I want to hear that horn too. All right. Well, thank you very much for joining us today on Horsemanship Radio. ACTHA champ Judy Limsky shares our trainer's tip this week on backing up for better ground manners. Welcome back, Judy Limsky. And her horse, Picasso. Picasso is probably not with you, but Judy, you have achieved so much. And we were so honored to have you on the show describing a little bit about that Picasso Award and the honor and sportsmanship that you provided uh, to all those active writers when you were out there. But we wanted to have you back to hear some of your inside secrets, tips, anything for all of us frustrated trail riders who... Uh, sometimes come upon that one obstacle, like that chicken in the mailbox or something, you know, that <laughs> you think I just can't get it. So we want to hear from you, Judy, on uh, on a tip that you have for us today on trail riding. Well, I have a simple training tip, and I think it will help everyone get their horse to listen and respond better. It's extremely simple. It's just back up. My tip would be to back your horse up often, mm-hmm. even when you're not in the saddle. I mean, I back Picasso up everywhere. I back them through gates, around cones and trees, anything I can find. I back them up before I ride, when I ride, and after I ride. I mean, I like to keep them thinking and not mm-hmm. anticipating. Oh, that's it. So so it's a um, listening to you moment when you're yes. doing that backup. Okay. Yes. Is it a trust thing? Do you think there's trust involved in that too? I mean, that's listening to you, I know, but they can't see everything back there. It absolutely is trust, and that's going to help you when you come to any obstacle that's a competitive obstacle. You're going to, they're going to trust what you're asking them to do, and especially backing up. I mean, that's not a natural, yeah. you know, something you see them do every day out in the pasture. That's right. That's right. It's fairly unnatural thing, actually. So, yeah. and a lot of disciplines don't don't do much backing up. Frankly, um, where how did you get onto that? I just 
the groundwork, I guess, and I could see that I could start. I started to do it at liberty, where he would back up when I'm asking him to, just by my hands and my voice, and then now just by my hands. And so I just started adding that all the time. I mean, I back almost every gate I go through, I back them up. Mm-hmm. I have them turn. I side pass them on the ground. It just, so, it just yeah, seems to help so. everything. That when I get in the saddle, it seems everything seems so much better. So we just had on the last episode, we had uh, my dad, Monty Roberts, um, talking about um, a horse that was having trouble going through the starting stalls, which is always a forward movement, right? Race horses go forward. They don't go backwards. And um, he talked about finally discovering that that was a trick to um, getting a horse not thinking about blasting through a narrow space and he he eventually got the thoroughbreds to back up just with their with cues from his body i mean in other words untethered uh unclipped he was in an open arena just backing through l's and everything do you think you can or do you work with picasso even off the lead oh i do off the lead i even set up cavalettis to set up logs in the arena and i will have him back up and serpentine those logs at a backup Excellent. And then I'll have them step over the log and then side pass each direction over the log at liberty. Listen to you. That is awesome. At liberty. I know. I sometimes that. I think maybe this accident I had in recovering from it, I've done so much more groundwork that he's just, mm-hmm. he's, he's so much better now. He's calmer and just, you know, I hope I can take that outside of the arena and back out onto the the trails again. I bet you can. I bet you can. <laughs> That's a great tip. And I, and I think a lot of people will have not have thought of that, but it makes good sense. It's one of those uh, light bulb moments, you know, it right. makes good Simple. sense when you yes. say it out loud. Uh-huh. And I, and I don't advocate everybody having an accident. Let's live vicariously through Judy for this one <laughs> <laughs> and learn to do a little more, take a little more time on your groundwork. And I think that's a great tip, Judy. Thank you, Thank Judy you. Linsky for uh, contributing another to Horsemanship Radio. Hi, I'm Monty Roberts. And I'm dedicated to training horses without pain. You can learn to do it too on my Equus Online University. Western, English, the beginner, or the advanced rider. It doesn't matter. You can connect with other students online too on our forum. And there's a new lesson every week. It's a lifetime of learning for you on my Equus Online University at MontyRoberts.com. What in the wide, wide world of sports is going on here? Where in the world is Monty Roberts? Monty is looking forward to meeting some new friends, two-legged and four-legged, in September. He will be on September 5th. Uh, the Night of Inspiration with Monty and Pat Roberts at Flag is Up Farms. Then he's off to England. October 10 at Bishop Burton College. October 17th at Myers Co. College. At Octo- and on October 23, he will be at Hartbury Co- College. Uh, October 29 in Marist Wood. October 31 in Ingleston, all the way up in Scotland. Meanwhile, back in California, my mom is going to be hosting a couple of events. November 6th, we've got a Horse Sense for Leaders professional development workshop at Flag is Up Farms, building trust-based relationships. And then that following weekend, uh, that same weekend right there, November 7th and 8th, we're going to have a Wild at Heart weekend with uh, my mom's sculptress and equestrian, Pat Roberts, and a bunch of our friends. This is Girls Only, Glenn. I can't come? No! Yes, you can. You can. I could dress in a dress. Yeah, well, 
Never mind. Okay. (laughs) You can see more at MontyRoberts.com. That's where you can see his complete calendar, of course. And you can also give a call, like on the phone, at 805-688-6288. And for details about today's show, go to HorsemanshipRadio.com, where you can find links, photos, and more information about our guests. As always, we love your feedback. And please follow us on Facebook under Facebook.com slash MontyRoberts and Twitter at Twitter.com slash Monty underscore Roberts. And the other way, the way a lot of people are listening to our shows now is on the app. So you can get the app by going to Horse Radio Network on iTunes or Android on your phones, and uh, you can follow us along there. That's how I do it. I love that app. And many thanks to our sponsors. We've got IFA.com, Omega Fields, and MontyRobertsUniversity.com. Be sure to visit all the other great shows, too, on Horse Radio Network at thehorseradionetwork.com and that's www.horseradionetwork.com Until next time, have many happy horse hours. 